0: Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. All right, that was a big week for us. Dave Gregory from XTC, that episode really took off. So if we have some new listeners, welcome, thanks for joining us. This week, we get to hear from Froylan Sosa, who was the lead singer of Nuclear Valdez. Do you guys remember Nuclear Valdez? In the late 80s, they were a heavily hyped, like MTV buzz band. They only put out two albums, The first one, I Am I, came out in 1989 and had the single Summer on it. And then the second one, in 1991, Dream Another Dream, which I love that album. I like them both, but I like that one a lot. Featured this track right here, Share a Little Shelter. I love this song. Unfortunately, that was it. You know, they got a lot of hype. They played one of the very first MTV Unplugged shows and it just didn't take off. And for whatever reason, it shouldn't be strange to have an all-Hispanic alternative rock band from Miami, but it was. And it's too bad, because they deserved better. They were a really good band. So, of course, he goes by Fro. Fro and I go- walk up through a lot of this stuff, talk about the ups and downs, what happened, everything like that. He's now a real estate agent in Miami. Some good news, however. On this past record store day, they released a third album called Present from the Past, only available on vinyl. And it's uh, a bunch of stuff they were working on for the potential third album back in the early 90s. It's good, it rocks. It's a lot harder than the stuff you might be used to. And then secondly, this is big. This Saturday, July 29th, at Churchill's Pub in Miami, they are playing a reunion show. Now when Fro and I talked a few weeks ago, that show was not 100% locked down, so we didn't get into it too deeply, but now it is. July 29th Churchill's pub nuclear Valdez playing a reunion show now I have no idea how many listeners I have in that area that could go if you can and you have the resources go but more than anything I think it's interesting to illustrate that some of these great bands their moments come back around and this is one of those moments anyway hope you enjoy this conversation it's short and sweet with Froylan Sosa he called me from his home in Miami Okay, so for starters, you know, when I think about Nuclear Valdez, I don't know if this is good or
1: bad, but most of the questions that I come back to relate to the fact that you guys were unique in being an all-Latino, Hispanic, however you want to say it, rock and roll band, which I can only think of Los Lobos and the Cruzados as being people who would have potentially have been peers of yours. And then I think to myself, well, that's stupid. Why are there not more Hispanic, Latino rock groups and I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know why there's not more. So I feel su- silly to be talking about how, ooh, unique and weird that is, but unfortunately, it kind of is. Were you faced with any challenges being such a thing? Absolutely,
2: yeah. I mean, it was weird. It's weird now. It it was weird then. Basically, I think that our uniqueness uh, it comes from many factors, but the main factor is that you know, Miami is, as you know, you know, a, a community of immigrants that that, mm-hmm. that came here due to uh, most of them are Cuban that came due because of the Castro regime. My parents came from Dominican Republic, you know, in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Not the similar circumstances, but you know, our generation, I think, even though we weren't born here, we really embraced American culture. And even like the other guys in the band, even when they were teenagers in Cuba. They really loved, you know, uh, rock and roll music and the, the the English rock that was coming out of there in the '60s. Mm-hmm. So we already had that in common when we were here as kids. And I think that it was just coincidental that we were Spanish, you know, that we were, that yeah. we were Latino. But right. in our minds, you know, we were we were just normal rock guys that loved, you know, Beatles and and the Who and yeah. Zeppelin. You don't, you, know, cetera, you don't sound Hispanic.
1: You don't sound Hispanic. So there's nothing or, or what you know. There, there's nothing making you sound culturally different you sound like a great rock band well yeah and uh, but there 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 are slight differences which we we really
2: we thought it was a, a cool thing to to do and to emphasize is that uh, you know we did bring a slightly different angle the way we approached music because of how we were raised and what we listened to True. you know as kids in the, in the house and we tried to add that anywhere we we could, you know. It mm-hmm. came naturally, but at the same time, there was a movement called Sincerity Rock. They used to call it, mm. tag it back then. And we kind of espoused that, you know. We really wanted to be sincere and and mm-hmm. and honest in what we were trying to do. And basically, you know, like like I said, we were Latinos doing rock, and I think the music kind of showed that, you know, in some yeah. ways. You know, I I I as a child, I listened to a lot of R and B as well so you know my, my vocal style you know to this day I still mm-hmm. love to sing you know with some R&B and the guys in the band you know George for example the guitar player you know he's well versed in jazz he's well versed in in, uh, in in flamenco style guitar playing you know he's just not mm-hmm. a rock and roll guitar player and that mm-hmm. also shows in, in his playing. We really tried to you know Juan was very lit uh very literary you know he was really into the into reading and writing and, and, you know, he was
1: one of the big emphasis of, uh, of the lyrics back then. So Mm. that's how we, that's how
2: we created music.
1: When you were signed, when the A&R rep or whatever that found that discovered you and you get signed to Epic records. And I imagine you guys are just thinking we've hit it big. Were there talks with those people about, "Mm, we're going to have a hard time marketing you because you're Hispanic or you're not straight up white or whatever. I mean, were they, were these discussions that were happening in real time? I, well, absolutely. I, yeah. I, I
2: think that, I think that we were discovered because we were so different.
0: Yeah, Remember, I we wondered.
2: we were we were just getting out of the '80s era, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and you know that '80s is is all about being weird, right? <laughs> Very so, true. <laughs> and then, so you know, here 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 we come, and then uh, we, we are in in a sense, in in a classical rock and roll sense, weird. So I think that the record companies, they thought, hey, you know, this is different. You know, uh, I I think that was the interest why they signed us. Yes. Obviously, marketing was a challenge, you know. Uh, mm. And especially, I think that it didn't help that we really came into a vortex of change. I, if I could start telling you, everything that has changed when we when mm-hmm. we jumped into the business, you wouldn't even mm-hmm. believe it, including uh, uh, record companies, formats of uh, the way that the, the manufacturing process of the
1: music, the radio stations, everything mm-hmm. was in flux when we got in mm-hmm. there. So it
2: was a, definitely a marketing
1: challenge for us. But I remember hearing the name Nuclear Valdez all the time. In fact, I, I think there almost seemed to be more buzz than there was like actual times that would hear you on the radio. Now, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, maybe nuclear, maybe that just was not the hub of <laughs> Nuclear Valdez. Maybe Epic was like, we're not going to try and break Nuclear Valdez in Salt Lake City. But anyway, but I remember, seeing, you know, I unplugged and seeing the video on MTV and stuff like that. By the way, were you guys, the? was that the very first unplugged to air on MTV? It was not
2: the very first unplugged. From what I understand, it was like the third or fourth. I'm okay. Sure. But it was okay. definitely early on. It was, Yeah. You know, just about the beginning of it yeah. there were still certain things out back then and, and it was yeah. very different than the way it, and, and, and it ended up it evolved after that you know.
3: don't believe me if I tell you not a word I say is true don't believe me if I tell you especially if I tell you I'm in love with you don't believe me if I tell you and I wrote this song for you. There just might be some other silly, pretty girl I was singing to. Don't believe a word, This words are easily spoken. And your heart is like a promise that was made to be broken.
0: I remember you guys
1: and the alarm and squeeze different in Tealbrook were an early yeah. uh, episode. So they seemed to kind of focus on more of these really excellent, more underground artists. But then eventually, of course, Rod Stewart and Eric Clapton had to get theirs, you know, and it became <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. That's right. taken over by the, by the big guys. It evolved from there. Right? Correct. Yeah. yeah, it sure did. So what are you thinking? I mean, when you're, when you're this, you know, this local rock band gigging around Miami, I imagine you have kind of a, Solid local fan base. Does the A and R guy come to one of your shows and and it's at a bar and you sit down at the table after the show and it's quieter and everyone's got a beer and he's like, "Look, guys, I'm going to make you guys stars." I mean, is this kind of what's happening to you? Did you sleep that night? Is that kind of what happened? You know, <laughs> it was it it wasn't quite as easy as
2: that, but I will tell you some highlights. You know, we did we did play a lot, uh, locally. We, we had a really strong fan base. You know, we were having great shows the word started getting around, you know, we, we, uh, we went to New York once or twice and, and showcased in different places. And then, you know, the typical thing happened where a, a record executive flew down here, showed up in a huge white limo, you know, the whole mm-hmm, thing, just like mm-hmm. out of a movie, you know, comes in, uh-huh. the band, calls a meeting after the show and says, yes, I want to sign you guys. At this point, it was not the record company yet it was a production company called SBK records and so they signed us and they said well now we're going to look for a record deal so you know they started uh shopping us around and uh and we ended up signing with uh with Epic Records you know mm-hmm. at the time you know to CBS mm-hmm. Records I should say that's what we oh, true. and okay. that was even that was even cooler because we they flew us to New York they picked us up in the limo you know we went mm-hmm. to the, to the offices mm-hmm. there on uh you know next to next to the park yeah, and uh, it was pretty typical, you know, it was the guy behind the big desk with the cigar. I'm not even uh-huh. joking, you know, the suspenders, you know, I'm <laughs> yeah. not joking. And we were like, oh my god, well, this, this is this is what we yeah. expected, so this is what we got, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it was very, oh, it it was very, uh,
1: very cool. Okay, did you feel like the promises they made, did they come through on those? I mean, do you think they did what they all they could do to promote, especially that first album, I am I? I mean. You know, I remember seeing Summer
0: on MTV a lot.
1: Were, no, they, I, were you being lost
2: I, well we had you know we we didn't know we were musicians and we were we were trying to really be true artists you know in the sense uh-huh. and uh, you know we really didn't want to get fucked on in the business that was our mistake number one but the the, okay. the bottom line is when you get when you get into the business you realize that it's a it's a real business. It's no different than mm-hmm. selling products to a grocery store. And what happened to us was a very interesting mistake because MTV really really liked the fact that we were this weird band from Miami, and they they picked mm-hmm. up the video as soon as we finished it, and they started playing it. And and the record company they were not ready to release the record yet, so we had a really a problem with timing. By the time mm-hmm. The record company finally got the records to the uh, stores. You know, MTV had been playing it for a while. And, uh, you know, uh, for, for things to work, at least the way it worked back then, you know, it, it had to mm-hmm. all be coordinated between all the radio stations and the record stores and et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And we were, like I said, MTV was struggling. They were new. They were really trying to make a, a statement. So they were off on their own thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, our record company, our CVS Records, they were. Trying to market us in the beginning, but soon after we signed, they turned into Sony Records. And then, when that happened, mm. you know, half the staff left. You know, and then a new yeah. staff came in. You know, and that that didn't help matters either because the new staff, you know, they want to bring in their. They don't want sure. to work on the old stuff. They want to come in with new stuff. Right. So we we were getting kind of lost in the whole thing, and and you know you know it was, it was we just had bad timing. You mm. know, bad timing. Mm.
1: Now there's kind of a a little bit of a stylistic shift on the second album, Dream Another Dream. That was the one that I came into you guys on. It's a little bit, there's a little bit more of an R&B feel in there. There's some drum sampling and stuff like that. Was that a conscious decision? Did you guys, were you thinking of, were you trying to change with some times or pop it up a little bit? Like I said, like I mentioned earlier, we we were really trying to
2: be honest artists. And at the time... That was a developing technology that was getting into the music, you know. And all of us, we were getting really heavy going back into our roots of the old Cuban music. You know, even though mm-hmm. I'm Dominican, I love old Cuban music. Sure. And I was listening to tons and tons and tons of old cu- Cuban music. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was buying stuff that, that was out of print. And, you know, it was a whole mm-hmm. thing. Our first album was very rootsy and very rock and roll, you know, four-piece mm-hmm. pretty much. I mean, we pretty much recorded it live in the studio, most of it, mm-hmm. you know. You know, the second record, we wanted to branch out a little bit musically because, you know, like I said, George has a jazz background. I have an R&B background. You know, the other guys in the band are also well-versed in different things. So we kind of wanted to experiment with that. And that's what, that, that's what the record came out like. You know, we weren't trying mm-hmm. to, you know, compete with the first one. We were just trying to do whatever came naturally at the time. And that, that was what was in our hearts at that time. You know, we sure. really wanted to, to showcase uh, what, we were, what we were
1: really grooving on, you know, at, mm-hmm. at that full moment in time. Okay and, yeah, so you gotta tell me you gotta tell me what are just some of the the best tastiest memories from this period. I mean, nuclear Valdez never quite breaks through, but you're there's a buzz around the band for a couple of years there. There's a while where you make a living as a musician. I know you're touring and you're opening for people. Are you meeting heroes? What's happening?
2: Oh my god, it was uh it was definitely a roller coaster ride. To start with, we recorded the first album at A&M Records in California. I don't know if this was something that the record company did on purpose, but they flew us out to California. We were there for three months at A&M Records. And every day, it was just a parade of, of stars that were coming in yeah. and out. And it was it was just mind-blowing. I mean, I, I could I could write off 20, 20, 30 different stars that came through there. Oh, and man. I'm not talking about... Small stars. I mean, yeah. I mean, you'd go to the bathroom and you'd be hanging out with the guys from Cheap Trick or the or, or the guys from Eurythmics or, you know, it's, it's insane. You know, the, oh. it, it just in our just in our studio alone, uh, Rick Rubin would hang out with us. Oh. Uh, the Go Go's hung out with us. I mean, it was um, it was insane. All, all the wow. stuff that we, you know, Melissa Etheridge was recording at the same time, and you know, on and on and on. Oh, it was uh, it was insane. All the stars over there, so we were starstruck okay. there. Uh, you know, to begin yeah. with. In addition to that, you know, we're big U two fans, so U two had just finished recording <laughs> Rattle and Hum there. Yeah. So all the all our engineers were like, "Hey, this is the mic that that Bono sang on, and no you know, this way. is the amp that Edge used." And you know, we were all freaking out about all. That. I mean, it was crazy. You know, touring. You know, we ended up opening a lot for 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 major acts. You know, so that was pretty interesting. Uh-huh. We it all over the United States, uh, crazy stuff. You know, back then in those days, you know, since we were a beginning band, you know, we were. Small scale, so we we were basically touring in two different trucks, and you know we were in sure. one van-ish thing, yeah. and the, you know the road crew and the equipment was we were in something else, uh-huh. and it was it, it was crazy long drives, and uh, it, and that that was an experience uh, in its, in, it. in of itself, you know, and then Europe when we went to Europe and toured Europe, that was even I mean, you know touring at that point we were touring in a tour bus, going to all these crazy venues and the and and the language barriers and just you know the way the bathrooms work for freaking us out. You, know, yeah. in these you yeah. know every country had its own system. Of
1: it, you uh, know. it was very. The experience was incredible for us. You know. You talk about meeting all these stars. Are there are there certain individuals or personalities that stick out? As I I'd like to know who was good and who was bad, but I have a feeling most people won't tell me who the bad ones were. But can you think of any any interaction or any particular personality that that sticks out?
2: Man, I, I got to tell you, I, it was a long time ago, and it's difficult okay. to remember
1: the Batch stuff, okay. you know. But okay. the, the
2: sure. I mean, the good stuff. Everybody treated us great. We hung out when we recorded the first album, for example. You know, our, our producer uh, Richard Goddard and, uh, and and Tom Funanzio. You know, they they were they, Richard was a guy from New York, but Tom was a New York, uh, an LA guy, and they knew a lot of people. So people were coming in and out. I mean the probably the one that stuck out the most for us was at the time Jimmy Iovine was working there, mm, nice. and Jimmy Iovine that he kept popping into the studio and popping into the studio. He took a liking to us, and he hadn't started anything yet. He was still just a producer at that time, right? And he wanted to manage us. He was like, "Come on, I want to sign you guys. I want to be your manager." Unfortunately, we had just signed a management deal with somebody else, and we had no clue what what Jimmy Ivey would eventually become. But, uh, you know, he really dug the whole Spanish angle. And uh, as a matter of fact, I think his first artist when he started his, his, his Interscope label, I think, was Gerardo, which was, a, was yeah. a, like a Latino rap kind of guy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's it, right? That's it, yeah. <laughs> so imagine. Classic. That, that, probably one of our biggest regrets is not being able to, you know,
1: sign with him and be stuck with him yeah. because that, I think, you know, now he's a, now he's a billionaire, you know? <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Jeez. Yeah. You could have gone along for the ride. At least. <laughs> um, yeah, no kidding. Now, the decision to have Richard produce the album, was that yours or was that a label decision? Well, the label set up a bunch of interviews for us and,
2: you know, we we chose them, again, because because we, we come from so many different musical backgrounds. We, mm-hmm. we chose both these guys because they all came from big backgrounds and Richard, for example, he was a songwriter in the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. and, and he did, uh, produce a bunch of people that we really liked back in the in the 70s era and okay. and componenzio was kind of like his uh his partner you know so we ended up mm-hmm. doing the record with them but yeah we definitely chose them because uh, okay. you know, we felt that they would bring out that musicality that you know that we were right.
1: that we were looking for okay yeah Richard's names on a lot of stuff i like there's some bowie credits marshall crenshaw about wow i think right before you he worked with Debbie Harry and mental as anything, and I just wondered if this was the stuff that was kind of informing what you guys wanted to sound like.
2: Absolutely, basically we learned from Beatles University, you know, diehard Beatle freaks, and and we come from a song that that quintessential songwriting craftsmanship, you know, mm-hmm. and we we'll like we like anything that has a great melody and a great hook, and yeah. and, uh, and and we kind of tend to gravitate towards. People that also are, are involved That's in that, right. that that type of songwriting, you know, you know, yeah. as, as opposed to, you know, maybe maybe if we would have hooked up with somebody that was like really rock and roll, they would have maybe scaled us down a little bit more, and you know, like I said, I we know. really wanted to be, you know, musical. We wanted to stay yeah. melodic
1: and stay musical. That was That's our cool. that was our... So when it ended, then, well, how did it end? I mean, were you guys were you not successful enough, and, and the and the label dropped you? Did you break up? How how did this come to an end? Well,
2: basically what happened was the first album, like I said, the timing was all over the place. And we were having trouble getting on certain radio stations because rock radio was formatting into into classic rock radio. Mm You know, they were Mm -hmm. still playing Led Zeppelin and The Who instead of playing what was happening. And then, you know... Uh, what, was that? what was that band back then? I can't remember. It was, a, it was a big band that basically sounded like a 60s rock band. And they, those are the oh. type of things that were gravitating. So we were having trouble getting on the radio and we released the first album. We, did, we released the first song Summer and we did a video for Summer. And I always thought that we should have released a second song and a second video from the first album at that moment in time. But our manager, I think he did it for selfish reasons, but he wanted us to go to Europe instead with the, with one of his bands to church to tour. Yeah. So yeah. all the monies and all the all the focus and everything went towards the European tour which we did. By the time we came back from Europe, the record company there wasn't anybody there from the from when we signed to them, you know. It was mm-hmm. very very scaled down. There maybe there were one or two players there that were still there from when we signed to them. And they were really they were really focused on trying to bring in new things. And then what happened? The Seattle Grunge thing starts blowing up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, uh, Pearl Jam was signed to our label as well. So the whole that's focus true. with the new team and yeah. the record company and the whole thing, they really yeah. just, boom, latched onto that thing, even though it was just starting out within its infancy. So we were like, you know what? We want out of uh, Sony because, you know, mm-hmm. nobody, there's nobody there that's cheerleading for us. So we're, we're going to look for a new records. So we negotiated releasing them. And we basically um, started looking for a new record company, you know, to, to do Mm -hmm. a third record with, but at the time there were little, there was a lot of tension in the band, you know, a couple of us were going through divorces and, you know, and different things, different and, and it, it just, time went on and it just fell apart yeah there was not a lot of energy to keep going and people just uh you know we went separate ways and it was just one of those things and th- and this this is what brings us back to this new record that we just released
1: yes because a
2: lot of know. those a lot of those songs were during that period when we were looking for a new label and yeah. we you know we recorded these demos and like i said you know soon after we recorded those demos you know we lost a lot of the energy that we had and you know, we decided to just take a break, you know, mm-hmm. and, sure. the, and the, so they sat on the shelf for, for 25 years, and, you know, it's crazy until recently that we pulled them out. Gosh. It's crazy. Now, do you think,
1: I mean, the the tensions that are, I want to talk about present from the Past, the new album here in a second, but I got a couple more questions about this fallout period. Do you think during that time, when tensions are running high in the band, had there been more success, do you think everyone would have been able to kind of Rally around and continue on. Was part of what was feeding that unhappiness or that tension the fact that it's still sort of a struggle and you're not breaking out like you feel like you should? Absolutely, because you start okay.
2: questioning everything. You know, yeah. you start questioning whether. You know, were, were we writing the right songs? Yeah. Is the manager really not not working for us? You know, was, was it a smart idea to get out of the label and look for a new label? I mean, there, there's no decision that's the right one. You
1: know, yeah.
2: it's all it's all a question mark, and that causes a lot of tension because yeah. everybody has an opinion and nobody really knows the right one. <laughs> you know, and you add you add a couple of personal tens- you know, personal problems mm-hmm. with, with members going through divorces and stuff, and you know, that's a recipe for disaster.
1: So the first album was summer, the only, uh, so I, you know, I'm going back over YouTube. I'm looking, I'm trying to find the old videos and there's summer and there's share a little shelter, but I think that's it. Did you only have like two professionally made videos? So one single off each album.
2: Yeah, because when, you know, videos at that time, it's not like today where you you can just pull up a a simple camera and record a video. You can do a video on an iPhone nowadays. Back then, it was an expensive endeavor, you know. So, you know, to get a record company to pull out hundred grand to do a video is not the easiest thing in the world. So, um, you know, we did the first video, and like I said, you know, instead of working on a second video, when we came back, we 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 worked on the on the second record. We had the second record to put out, and uh, and we, huh. so we did. We kind of focused on that, and we recorded a new record, a new video, and we went that way. And then yeah. after that, everything fell apart. So yeah, we really only had a
1: chance to do. That's that weird. That feels like such a truncated marketing campaign. I mean, I know those videos are expensive, but every every record that didn't stop every record label from tacking on multiple videos. To every poor young band's account sheet, basically making yeah. you owe them for those videos for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, so, and when they break, when they break, and the song becomes a hit, then everyone gets paid and everyone's happy. But I still, I feel like they still would at least have said, well, okay, well, summer did okay. Let's try run through the fields.
0: Let's let's get another video out there.
2: Get that when summer came out it was one team and then when uh yeah true true came to do the second record the second video that none nobody from that team was there so uh uh, you know the only way to entice a new team is with complete a new direction you know that was the only way to get them to to get them interested you know i mean record companies it's a funny thing you gotta understand it's a it's a they sit around and at conference rooms, and they have all these people working for them. <laughs> you have all these guys that just graduated from from college, and a bunch yeah. of suits, and you uh, know they're, they're trying to figure out. You know, they they don't have one artist; they have you know thirty. You know, they're trying yeah. to figure out okay, how are we gonna? Yeah. Okay, who who can we who can we market today? Who who you know yeah. who, who's doing this? Who's doing that? And that's basically how they make their decisions. If you get lost in that shuffle, you know you're yeah. screwed. And yeah. we did, you know, we did because uh, the timing yeah. was lousy, man. You know, we uh, yeah. we had to. We had two different groups of people that we had to work
1: with, and uh, yeah. that, that was not easy. Oh, what a what a missed opportunity. So, Okay, so I want to talk about the new music. It's not new. Uh, so anyone who's listening, Present from the Past is an album that you guys put out on Record Store Day. It is not, to my knowledge, available digitally or on CD. It's only on vinyl, correct? That's correct. That's right. Okay. And these are old demos. These are songs from back in the day. They're not new songs, right?
2: Exactly. That's actually, okay. exactly
1: right. Okay, so now when I listen to these songs, you talk about, you know, grunge coming along and kind of wiping everyone out, which I know that it did, obviously. I was listening specifically to the song Come Inside
0: from the new album, which sounds to me very grungy. Pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, anyone who wants to check out *Present from the Past*, it's it's very more. It's
1: a lot more hard rock than *Dream Another Dream* was. But I'm I'm listening to it, thinking, well, this would have this song would have made sense at the time. This could have jumped the chasm between the old guard and the new grunge guard. But then I started thinking, I wonder how many other bands thought to themselves, you know, I could play this game too. Just give me a chance. Let me write a grunge song or perform. I can play along. But didn't get the chance, <laughs> namely like you guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean,
2: we weren't trying to copy the grunge thing, no, but we definitely no. we were definitely influenced by it. You know, I will say yeah. that, and and you know, by nature, like I said, we we are we're we come from different backgrounds, but we do love that hard edged rock rock music. Sure. And uh, you know, our first album was similar to that, not not as hard as this stuff, but at that time we were really kind of pissed off too, so we really wanted to. You know, we wanted to be angry sounding. You know, and uh, yeah, and we wrote these songs, and you know, I mean, we wrote a lot of different things. I have a lot of stuff, you know, sitting around, and you know, the the, the way we picked these these songs for this this particular project was, I wanted it to make sure that it was, you know, the four original guys with the, with the same mindset, you know, that uh, that we had, and then I had to find stuff that sounded halfway decent because, as you know, you don't want to show everybody, not every demo, <laughs> I mean, right, some, right? Demos are, you know. A little too 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 embarrassing to show to anybody. So uh, yeah, you know, I had to find stuff that sounded halfway decent to put, to fit on the record. You know? So yeah, that was right. part of it too. But yeah, we were definitely uh, definitely influenced through the time. And should okay. should we if we would have found a another record record uh, co- uh, company to pick us up, you know, I think we would have been a, we, I think we would have been able to compete a little bit with the uh, with the grunge Sound at okay. that time. You know.
1: So then when the band breaks up and everything kind of comes to an end. Do you continue on then as a musician for a while? I mean, what's that next day, the next morning? You know, you wake up in the morning, you're no longer a professional musician, and you think, "I gotta go get a regular job." Or what do you think? <laughs> what is that like? You know, it's pretty shitty. <laughs> yeah, it
2: does. I mean, it it didn't quite happen like that, but you know, we we definitely had our difference of opinions, and we 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 studied putting space in between ourselves but you know i think individually you know i kept i kept working in my home studio coming up with stuff and uh occasionally i'd, I'd hook up with george and we'd, we'd record something together or I, I'd, I'd hook up with juan and the band per se were, were not uh we're not together but you know we were still friends and we, we still yeah. spoke all the time and and uh we still we still hung out on occasion and then you know the reality sets in that you know we're not you know, we're not 19 years old. We got to make a living. So yeah, you got to go back to the real world. You know, and start doing what you got to do until some. Until yeah, you always have that hope that something's going to turn around in a, in, yeah. a, in a short period of time. But you know, one thing leads to another, and you you know you, you find a significant other, you get married, mm-hmm. you know, you settle down. You always had a couple of kids. You know, life happens. Yeah. You know, and uh, I do know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's all good, man. It's all it's awesome. It's all good, you know.
1: So what do you do now? I'm a real estate agent. I've
2: been a real estate That's agent. What for I heard.
1: Uh, yeah, almost 15 <laughs> years. That is wild. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to buy a house in Miami from Fro Sosa, the front man of Nuclear Valdez. I'm that would make you. so happy. <laughs> Comes down. We'll, we'll make it work. Don't
2: worry. <laughs> that is
1: wild. That is wild. Yeah. So when, yeah. when you make that transition, I mean, I'm guessing you had been a musician for a while, and... Musicians, I think in some ways, not always, but in some ways are sort of like athletes where they've been so focused on one thing for so long that to have to go get a job in the real world, they haven't been honing those skills their whole lives, like people who, you know, went to school and college and all that kind of stuff. Did you find it difficult to adjust to real life or?
2: Yeah, it was very difficult. You know, you have a question of, okay, what am I going to do? You know, uh, yeah. should I go back to school and learn something? You know, I tried yeah. that. I, you know, that didn't work out. It was too expensive and I didn't, you know,
1: yeah.
2: couldn't get that going. And then, uh, you know, I worked uh, in my dad's business for a while. He was in the automotive business and I did that for a while. But that didn't work because, you know, I, I being a musician, you, I just couldn't adhere to, a, to a, a nine-to-five type of schedule. You know, it was very yeah. difficult for me. Right. So, you know, I ended up becoming a real estate agent just before the housing boom and uh, you know, it really worked out well it's I, I make my own schedule, you know, sure. I can, I can sure. sleep late, I can stay up late, you know, I yes. you know, I work on the on the weekends just like a musician would. So it's kind
1: of like it's it's kind of a good fit. <laughs> that is amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. And do you I mean, are you married? Do you have kids? What's your personal life like? I no, yeah, I am married. I am married.
2: Okay. I've been married now for twenty four
1: years, I think. Oh my and, gosh. Uh,
2: yeah, but I don't have kids. Uh, okay. Uh, George uh, is married, also. He has a couple of kids, and Juan's married, has kids as well. And, okay. Uh, and 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 Ro- Robert's still a rock star, so. Oh.
1: Uh, he, he, okay. he, he he's the one that we all look up to. <laughs> what have you made it? Oh, that's wild. <laughs> that made it. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Do you still have like the soul glow hair going? <laughs> oh well, no. I have to be a lot more conservative. Okay, I wondered. I wondered because the only thing better than buying a house from you in my right now would be if you still had the big long kind of afro from back <laughs> in the day. That would have been even better, you know? Uh, yeah, that that
2: that's a little difficult if people take you serious, you know? Yeah. Up like that.
1: <laughs> I can just see your face on billboards and, like, bus stop signs and stuff from back in the nuclear Valdez Valdez days. Yeah, that's, okay. that's kinda, that sounds kind of cool, though. <laughs> you should, right? Who wouldn't buy a house from that guy?
2: I'll tell you a funny story. I, we were playing yeah. in, uh, I think it was in Baltimore back in, during the first album. And uh, we were doing the sound check, and this 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 guy comes up to the he's like hanging out, watching us through the sound check, and he he has a he has he has flowers with him, and he's looking at me, and he's like I couldn't figure out I couldn't make out what what's going on, and and you know he, he stood there for like half an hour, and then he finally goes up to John and he goes Hey, is that guy a girl or a guy? <laughs> And Johnny goes, what are you talking about? He's a guy, and he goes, shit, I thought he was a girl. I came here, I brought him flowers and everything. (laughs) I I don't know know how that happened, but that's a true story.
1: Oh, that's the best. That is the best story. Oh, my gosh, I love it. He said, I thought he he was a cute little African-American girl, you know. And you're like, well, hey, I like flowers, too. I'm not going to go on a date with you, but you can leave the flowers, you know. That's pretty sorry. Awesome. Now, good is touch. there much of a demand for like a, a reunion? I think I read somewhere you guys have only played like three shows in fifteen years or something like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, we, the shows that we've done have been very, very good because you good. know we we had a strong fan base. You know, it's difficult for us, man, man, because you know we're 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 not young anymore. You know, we're older ah, guys, and we sure. have very complicated lives and. It's tough to get together to rehearse and uh, and and put the songs together and you know and and come out and put this thing. It's not it's not as easy as people think. Just getting over getting together and and making it work, you know. And uh, some songs we haven't played in 20 years, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, your body is not the same, you know, and yeah, uh, doesn't function the same. So not as easy. And so there's not a big appetite for a, a long-term union type of thing. But yeah, we yeah. decided to put this thing out, and and you never know, you know. I mean, sure. You never know what the future holds, you know. It's, okay. Uh, we're 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 totally open. I think. You know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Somebody needs to cover a Nuclear Valdez song, so you guys can kind of get relaunched into the zeitgeist again. you know. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? There, there's a funny uh,
2: video. There's some Japanese Japanese rock group covered Summer. It was pretty pretty cool.
1: Oh really? Yeah I'll yeah. You, can, you can look for cool. it on
2: YouTube. Yeah. Okay. I'll look of for course that. they got a Japanese girl singing. The (laughs) song. Yeah, well, whatever. (laughs)
3: Isn't that wild to
0: think that you're there in Miami and somebody in
1: Japan was touching up by, you know what I mean? Other side of the world knew you and knew it's, your music and did a thing?
2: It's completely
1: amazing. It's so
2: cool. Uh-huh. And that's, what, that, that's the one really good thing about the world we live in today is that the world yeah. is so small and, you know, mm-hmm. we get... To, but to this day, we get a, we still get people contacting us from all over the world, you know, all over that's Eastern wild. Europe and Western Europe and the Philippines and Asia. It, it really is
1: interesting. Yeah. That's got to feel good. Well, good for you. Okay, so I always close this out with a couple of questions that I ask pretty much everybody. And maybe you've already such, touched on some of these, but if you can think about something else, go ahead. One is I want to know what your biggest regret is. You had mentioned not going with Jimmy Iovine, if that really was an <laughs> option, maybe that's it. But was there a thing that, like, if I I hadn't done this thing, something might have bounced a little differently? And then I want to just know what, you know, when you're sitting at home and you're comparing homes in a certain neighborhood for your people, for your clients, and you're thinking, (laughs) I was a rock star once, you know? (laughs) What do they call it, pulling comps? Yeah, you're pulling comps. (laughs) You're pulling comps, and you're thinking, you know what, in 1990 – I played in front of whatever. What is that memory that is just so tasty and ex- excellent? You can't believe it happened to you.
2: Man, I look. I, I I'm a studio rat, man. So that oh, okay. that you know what what makes me the happiest is thinking about recording at AM Studios, like I told you before, with all those people walking around, and yeah. and of course our biggest, reg- my biggest regret is not not working with Jimmy and of course. It because, is. You know, is, we didn't okay. know a lot about business, and we really yeah. needed a business person to be with us. Uh, that, that that I thought I thought they would do the right things for us, and you know yeah. things would have turned out different in my mind. But yeah, yeah, for
1: sure. I was just curious. Well, look, Fro, this is great, and I uh, I became a fan of you guys. I think it was about ten years ago. I always knew the name, but I hadn't I didn't hear it enough to go buy the albums or anything. But about ten years ago, there was this, I live in Denver, and there was a used CD store here. It's gone now, like everyone else. But it was called Cheapo Discs, and the first Saturday of every month. They would have this dollar sale. And so I would go every month religiously and just scour the racks looking for anything that was on sale for a dollar. And uh, Dream Another Dream was one of those albums one time. And I thought, you know, no offense. I'm sorry that I only paid a dollar for it. But I'm so glad I did because I loved it. That's great. And as I saw it, I thought, I knew these guys. I never really paid much attention. Let's find out what they're all about. And I love it, and I've loved you guys ever since. And so, uh, anyway, thank you for that's being you. That's
2: You know, I I love to meet people that that discovered us through the second album, and uh-huh. most people
1: know us from the first album. But right. it's
2: awesome when you hear somebody that discovered us in the second album, and then they yeah. they discovered the first album. That's a that's a cool twist.
1: Yeah, that's where my loyalty goes. So anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for talking to me, man. I really really appreciate it.
2: Oh man, it was uh, it was really fun. Thank you, thank you so much for having me.
0: There you have it, Fro Sosa, such a good guy. And they were a great band. Check them out if you like that kind of sound. That late 80s, early 90s, just before grunge, alternative sound of like Jane's Addiction or REM even. Really good stuff. And there's only two albums, do it. In fact, the second album, which I've mentioned I like a lot, there's a song in there called Dance Where the Bullets Fly. That's what this song is right here, great track. And Churchill's Pub, July 29th, this Saturday, In Miami if you have the resources go to the reunion show I would give anything to go to that show all right the next three weeks by pure coincidence each guest you would file under the letter E alphabetically strangely enough and next week we are talking to the man behind one of the biggest songs of the 80s number one hit and yet I don't know that anyone really likes this song anymore You know how Love Shack from the B-52s was a huge hit and everyone knows it and it still gets played, but I don't know that anyone actually really likes it anymore? This is one of those kinds of songs, and yet we have a really great conversation about it. Now, The Business, as always, you can find us on Facebook, you can like our page, you can communicate with me on there, that's where I do most of the communication. You can find us on Twitter, at The Hustle Pod, or you can email us at thehustlepod at gmail.com. And if this is your first time joining us, Thank you. Welcome. Go back into the archives and see if there's other bands that we've covered that would be interesting to you. Or you can send me a message if there's somebody new you want me to try and track down. Write us a review, in fact, while you're in there, please. And thank you, as always, to Yan and Montevich, my right-hand man. Love you, buddy. Thanks for everything you do. Guys, we will see you next Tuesday.